0: Good morning. It's 8.30 on Tuesday, February 2nd. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show...
3: We need people to get vaccinated. We need our people to live through this virus.
0: Faith leaders from Mississippi's black communities come together in a mass vaccination event to promote hope and healing. Communities of color have been disproportionately affected by the COVID-19 pandemic. We'll look at how pre-existing gaps in health care access across the region are also impacting the vaccine rollout. Plus, lawmakers explore different ways to improve Mississippi's state parks. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. African-American ministers from across Mississippi are uniting to encourage their congregations to get the coronavirus vaccine. About 20 faith leaders came to New Hope Baptist Church Church in Jackson yesterday to get vaccinations and build community trust and confidence in the vaccine. The event was sponsored by the Mississippi Health Department and the State Medical Association. Executive Director Dr. Claude Brunson tells our Desiree Frazier, while African-Americans make up 38% of the state's population, only 19% have received the coronavirus vaccine.
2: Probably right now, the major reason for that is just lack of access to the vaccine. But we do know that there is hesitancy in the African-American community to take the vaccine for a number of reasons. We also know that um, the Black church has always been important in the African-American community. And that, that has been the place historically that uh, African Americans have gone for, for solace, for refuge, uh, and to seek out advice from their health, from their faith leaders that they could trust.
4: Why is there hesitancy in the African American community? Aren't there people in all races that may be reluctant to take the vaccine? Well, there,
2: there, there is that. Case and a lot of lot of it across the population uh, has been to do with the speed at which this vaccine was developed. But even though this vaccine was designed in a relatively short period of time, the processing and the technology that was used to design it was safe um, process. It was a uh, more improved process than we've been able to use in making vaccines in the past. But it has also been trials and clinical trials in more Americans than usually um, we see in, in vaccine trials in our country. So from that aspect, um, the vaccine has been tested in the American population um, um, at a fairly significant and substantial level. Now, as far as particularly in the African American communities, uh, why there is additional reasons uh, that they're reluctant or hesitant, it probably has to do with Um, such things as the Tuskegee experiment. And and so there became a a real reluctance about whether or not uh, African Americans were going to be treated fairly um, when dealing with uh, clinical studies and dealing with the government and the uh, traditional uh, medical uh, community. And so we have to recognize that and, um, and we have to address that.
4: As you mentioned, access is an issue right now. Do you anticipate more vaccine becoming readily available to the point that it won't be such a hardship for folks?
2: I do. I believe that the the two vaccines that are available, the Pfizer and the Moderna vaccines, that production will be increased uh, rather significantly and that access to the vaccine will become uh, not as much of a problem we also have the the new Johnson & Johnson vaccine that is going uh, through here pretty soon, emergency use authorization, so that it will be available. And that's a single shot. That one has an effective rate uh, at about 72%, depending upon which uh, data you look at. But it does have an effectiveness up to 85% for decrease in severe uh, illness and hospitalizations, and therefore death. And so that vaccine will do what we, what we want it to do. Um, no one really expected that when Pfizer and Moderna came out with a vaccine, that it will have an effectiveness at 95%. And so anything now that comes out below that is seen to be not as effective. Um, and that's something that we're going to have to deal with and, and we're going to have to make sure that the population understands, but. Even at the level that Johnson & Johnson is saying their vaccine is effective at, that is still quite a significant level of uh, protection. Uh, and so what we were, we're going to recommend uh, to folks is whatever vaccine becomes available to you, you should take the vaccine.
4: Well, Dr. Brunson, we really appreciate your time and speaking with us. Thank you. Right, thank you.
0: Bishop Ronnie Crudup Sr. is the senior pastor of New Horizon Church International in Jackson. He received his first dose because he says it was the wise thing to do and wants members of his community to follow his lead.
3: I'm 67 years old, um, and I plan on living to be 100 at least. And and so wisdom said to me, self-preservation said to me, get the shot. Uh, I get a flu shot every year. I've got other shots. There was no reason for me not to take the shot for the virus, the COVID-19 shot. And so I was happy, excited to get it. I've gotten my first one, looking forward to the second one. I've had no side effects. And uh, and I think everybody ought to get it.
4: Was it painful at all? No, no more than uh, a regular
3: shot. I mean, a pinch, That that was it.
4: There is a concern that African-Americans are resisting getting the vaccine, even though some are. What would you say to folks to encourage them?
3: Well, first, I want you to know, I've heard every reason from people, particularly in African-American reason why you shouldn't get the shot. I mean, from things that make no sense at all to maybe some things that that may have some similitude of, of a decent reason. But I'm encouraging everybody that I know, certainly in our church in the community that I influence and everybody else, especially African Americans, get the shot. Um in our community where people are dying disproportionately more than anyone else, get the shot. And um and all of these things that people say, you know, I've heard everything from you know, that this is a way the mark of
5: the beast
3: to You know, that they're going to put something in you and start following you. I'm telling people, all that stuff is idiotic. Get the shot.
4: That sounds like conspiracy theories.
3: Our people are susceptible. We hear on the national level of people who are susceptible to all these things. People in the African-American community, too, are susceptible. And you always come up with all of these things. But, But to me, those are things that are in place to kill our people. Uh, we need people to get vaccinated. We need our people to live through this virus. And so to everybody out there, and I thank you for the opportunity, please go take the vaccination. Unless you've got medical reasons from your doctor why you should not do this or some kind of precondition, you need to go take this shot.
4: Have you had an unusual number of people in your congregation pass away from COVID-19?
3: We have had people in our congregation to pass away from COVID-19. I did uh, last week, um, actually, a week and a half ago, two young of people, 40 and under. Uh, And certainly I've done films for people that are older than that. And so this thing is affecting everybody. And so, you know, even more because of that, I'm pushing people. Please go take the shot.
4: Well, Bishop Ronnie Crudup, we really appreciate your time and speaking with us. Thank you.
5: Thank you for having me on.
4: Coming up,
0: communities of color have been disproportionately affected by the COVID 19 pandemic. We'll look at how pre existing gaps in health care access across the region are also impacting the vaccine rollout. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. This is Mississippi Edition. I'm Karen Brown. Communities of color have been disproportionately affected by the COVID-19 pandemic. Now they're at risk of being left behind in the vaccine rollout. Baton Rouge, Louisiana is one city where many black residents have long lacked the medical resources they need. Shalina Chatlani has this story.
6: To stay busy while quarantining, Georgia Washington cooks her favorite foods. Green
4: beans, big fish.
6: The 79-year-old says she got coronavirus in March.
4: I was very weak and I was tired and they had me tested so they said I had the virus.
6: Washington lives in a predominantly black neighborhood in the northern part of the city of Baton Rouge where there aren't many resources. When she got coronavirus, Washington had to travel 20 minutes south to get medical attention. Now, she can't find a local provider for a vaccine.
4: I've been trying. I went to Walgreens twice. Uh, I went to Allison a few days ago. They didn't have it.
6: Now, Washington is on a waiting list. As vaccine supply runs low across the country, snagging a shot in the arm is already hard for most people. NPR mapped vaccination sites around the country and found that in cities like Baton Rouge, access is even more uneven. Of the 15 official pharmacies where people can get vaccinations, 11 are located in the southern part of the city. It's the most affluent and white. And it's where most medical facilities are located. When you go to North Baton Rouge, there are very few choices. And then how many of those are participating in the vaccine program? That's Tasha Clark Amar, CEO of the East Baton Rouge Council on Aging. She runs around two dozen senior centers around the city. So the council is using its senior network to build trust. on, On the council's talk radio show last month, Amar invited the secretary of Louisiana's health department, Courtney Phillips, to talk to the seniors. What we can't do is let the fear of the past prevent us from getting the information we need. Now that's oh, yeah. our and the council also stepped up to fill this pharmacy gap by providing vaccinations. Amar says the council organized a pop-up clinic in mid-January using around 1,000 doses from Albertsons. But Amar had to cancel one of these clinics last minute when she didn't receive all the doses she had been promised. I was livid. 35 of the people that we have registered are between the ages of 80 and 99. Now you tell me, how am I supposed to pick? Amar has been able to schedule other pop-up events. And the current mayor has put more focus on helping the northern part of the parish. But Amar says a patchwork of resources is part of life in Black communities. Ever since an interstate was built through the northern part of Baton Rouge in the 60s, the population has struggled with housing and food insecurity, poverty and crime. These inequities have always fueled disparities in health care. The vaccine rollout is just the latest example. And it's not just in Baton Rouge. The NPR analysis also found similar trends in Jackson, Mississippi, and Mobile, Alabama, cities with large black populations. Thomas Leviste, a dean and healthcare equity researcher at Tulane University in New Orleans, says officials will need to keep an eye on medical deserts nationally.
2: But I do think that the South is uh, perhaps more of a problem than some other parts of the country. Part of that is a long history of racism, Jim Crow.
6: Lavista is also co-chair of the Louisiana COVID-19 Health Equity Task Force.
2: We have a healthcare system that wasn't organized from the beginning to ensure that there was an equal distribution of healthcare throughout the country. And what we're seeing now is just the vestiges of that.
6: He says the state is considering solutions like sending in teams to do mass vaccinations in communities with few medical facilities. Laviste says this type of on the ground community work has to happen now before the rollout goes into the next stages, or else existing healthcare gaps will only get wider. In Baton Rouge, I'm Shalina Chutlani.
0: This story was produced as part of a regional collaboration with public media stations in Louisiana, Alabama, and Mississippi. Coming up, lawmakers explore different ways to improve Mississippi State Parks. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio.
6: On Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit, you get information about foods you should eat to stay in good health and tips on how to stay active. I'm Dr. Josie Bidwell, host of Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit, an associate professor of preventive medicine at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Listen to the show every Monday at eleven. Or subscribe to the podcast by searching for Southern Remedy with your preferred podcasting app.
0: This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. State lawmakers in both chambers are introducing measures to improve Mississippi's state parks. In the Senate, a bill filed by Republican Neil Whaley would privatize operation of some of the state's 25 parks while giving others over to municipal control. It's an approach that has the support of Lieutenant Governor Delbert Hoseman. Hoseman says revitalization of state parks is a priority for him and believes Whaley's plan is a possible path toward it.
5: We do not have adequate places for our people to go with their, you know, with their trailer or whatever and take their families fishing. We, it is archaic. We have ignored too long, uh, the normal operating expenses and things that we need to be doing to have a viable state park system. And there are a couple of them that are up to speed, but many of the others need a lot of work. So one of the, one of the options is, uh, do we, do we pay for it ourselves? Do we have someone else come in and run it? Wildlife Fisheries and Parks does a tremendous job managing our wildlife areas, those kinds of things. But I don't know that they're necessarily in the hotel and cabin and uh, RV rental business. I, I don't know that they are. So I think some infusion, infusion of, of knowledge and capital there would be appropriate. We've got as public spaces, continue to decrease the availability of those. As you know, I acquired 20,000 acres when I was Secretary of State and an island. We have to have public spaces for our our people. It is part of the reasons that people come here for economics, for manufacturing and whatnot. It's part of the process we want to live here. It's part of the process of the family unit. It's positive for everything. And we have neglected those too long to me. So I'm hopeful that a combination of, of the government and private enterprise will bring our parks back up to something we're proud of for us to use, for our own citizens to use, but also attract other people to come here.
0: In the House of Representatives, members are addressing the plight of Mississippi state parks through a series of bills. Democrat Tom Miles is a co-sponsor on all of them. He wants to see the parks remain under the control of state agencies, with new attention to advertising and a diversified funding stream
1: all of this conversation actually stimulated over the fall in a tourism committee meeting was one of the big, was one of the big topics there, ways that we can promote our state better in other ways. Then you had COVID, that it kind of came out of, and a lot of people were trying to do some stay at home vacations and, uh, and trying to go back to the parks. And, uh, you know, our, our parks have been cut a lot over the last 20 years. And, uh, you know, they're, they're a treasure that we that we have in Mississippi, and uh, I'm just I'm I'm one proud to see that this conversation is coming up on what we can do to uh, help improve them here at home.
0: And the cuts over the last 20 years, as you mentioned, isn't just in budget but in personnel as well.
1: Yeah, well, that's what happens when your budget's cut; personnel has to be cut. This one is one of the ways that our parks have had to balance the budget, and that's cutting the staff members there to do that and that when you have less staff there sometimes you have less people to help upkeep them as well
0: the senate bill 2486 recommends shifting financial responsibility of state parks to the municipalities or selling the parks outright now the house has a completely different plan tell us about that
1: well i think the house we're looking at this from a from a different standpoint, and we're looking at some outside-of-the-box ways of, to help improve our parks. We really don't want to privatize them. That's, that hasn't been the position of most of the members on the, on the House Wildlife Fishers and Parks Committee. We've got a host of different bills addressing some of this. One is that we're looking at a bill that would take a portion of the lottery proceeds to to help to give a funding stream for our parks that we haven't had in the past. Just a a small portion, I think, to begin with is like right around $3 million a year just to to give them for maintenance and upkeep. We're looking at another bill that would take the sales tax that our our state parks collect and divert the, the sales tax money back to the state parks for upkeeps, for repair and maintenance and other things as well. We've also got a bill where there's establishing a, the Mississippi Outdoor Stewardship Trust Fund, which is an, which will be a nonprofit where we take a portion of the money that's collected from, um, from different things that we sell that are outdoor-related, and that will give us a chance to, um, to match money for parks and other, other things across the state that are wildlife, fisheries, and parks-related and help us draw down federal money for that. That could go back into upgrading some of our parks and adding other amenities that they may be lacking. And one thing is that I think our state parks have missed over the years is they've been out of sight and out of mind. We haven't had a budget that actually advertises our state parks here at home or in other states. So we've got one bill that would take a portion of the, tourism of money that they spend on advertising each year to start advertising our state parks more.
0: I know you also included in an in opinion piece the uh, significance of RV sales and use in Mississippi and how that would relate to state parks.
1: Yes, I'm talking about. There's over 40 million Americans own RVs. The, the, that's right around 114 billion dollars to the national economy. We have. I'm talking about. We have RV sales in Mississippi. You have. They buy gas. They buy other products when they're out camping. They buy insurance. They, the, the RVs and campers are a hot commodity in, in Mississippi and across the state, where people are, you know, are, are buying a, a big RV or they're buying a small camper. They're taking their families out there enjoying the outdoors, which is a major part of our economy.
0: The Senate uh, version of what to do with state parks and the House version is completely different. Do you think it's strictly a Budgetary concern with the Senate's proposal?
1: I'm not sure. I just think that I've got a different way of looking at it than we do, maybe. Uh, we, we feel like, I think in the House, that our position is that we want to keep our state parks. We don't want to sell them off to private companies. The state parks were designed where any man or woman could take their family out to camp, to fish, uh, to enjoy outdoor activities, and not cost them an arm and leg. And when you look into what some of these bigger companies do, they do a good job, but they outprice a lot of people where they, they could not use these amenities, and that was never the, the, the purpose of our state parks. Our state parks are there for us to to enjoy life, to enjoy outdoor activity, to help improve the quality of life for all of us and our families, and that's what we want to do is to make sure that they're going to be there for years to come. And I'm... I'm I'm glad as a legislator that the legislature is looking at ways that we can improve them. I think privatizing them and selling them off, uh, that would be detrimental to our local communities and would also be bad for many of our families because many of our families would not be able to afford to use them.
0: Tom Miles represents House District 75, which includes Rankin and Scott Counties, and I thank you so much for being with us, Representative Miles. Thank you. As both efforts work, the pro- work through the process in their respective chamber, Lieutenant Governor Hosman takes solace knowing the issue is a matter of concern for the Senate and the House alike.
5: Well, that's why you have a House and a Senate. Uh, we've got, I think, a really good Senate bill, and I'm sure they think they've got a good House bill, and we'll all get together. And uh, somewhere in there, we'll come up with something. What, what that tells me is the House and the Senate agree that there's an issue. And how we cure it is always a matter of some debate. But right now, we're all in agreement that we don't like the way it is.
0: This has been Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Thanks for listening to the Mississippi Edition podcast from MPB News and MPB Think Radio. Don't forget to subscribe if you haven't already. And if your app lets you, leave a comment or review. We really do appreciate it.